The Free for All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at the Toronto Star, Robert Benzie, is here. Richard Krause, host of the podcast Last Call with Richard Krause. And Larissa Waller joins us, public affairs strategist and, uh, should be noted, uh, person in Canada who has been sanctioned by the Russians. I think that's how we met, wasn't it, Larissa? You guessed it on the show to tell us what you did so bad that Vladimir Putin doesn't like you? Yeah, I really ticked him off there. So uh, <laughs> Okay. Uh, is it hurting your Badge life? Of honor. <laughs> Can I ask, is it hurting your life any? It hasn't yet, but, you know, I'm wondering if it, it'll impact me five or ten years down the road. I, I don't think it will, but we'll see. Okay. So, uh, listen, let's talk about, uh, well, if we're going to start talking about Russia and Ukraine, might as well move to warplanes. And yesterday we discovered that the warplane that Justin Trudeau mocked when the Conservatives wanted to buy it is now our first choice, and it's the right buy, apparently. Uh, Robert Benzie, I'll let you go first on this one. Never criticize the government for doing what you think should be done. I don't know enough about warplanes to say that this should be done. Uh, but politically, it's pretty ridiculous that there is this great long clip of Justin Trudeau mocking Stephen Harper and the Conservatives over the plane that he's now buying. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like everyone, I was laughing when you played that earlier, John. And and I think his opponents, political opponents, will be will be having good fun with that. But I think the the bigger issue you have to think about is these the the, the F thirty fives that are replacing a plane, the F CF eighteen Hornet that came into um, into service when Prime Minister Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, was the Prime Minister in 1982. So they're more than 40 years old. So the planes that, that our pilots are flying are older than the pilots themselves. So I think that's, from a safety perspective, perspective is something we should be concerned about. Obviously, we have NATO obligations. The uh, Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine shows that Canada needs to have a more up-to-date military. We have a, a, an Arctic border with, with, uh, with, uh, with Putin. And I think that this is something that we need to... We need to be concerned about and yes sure they should be mocked for for doing this but at least we're going to have some modern equipment for our, our armed services okay i won't play the full length clip but here's a highlight this is justin trudeau campaigning in 2015 and saying well the conservatives can want to buy this thing but when we form government we're going to kibosh it and the new liberal government won't buy the overpriced f-35 stealth fighter jet it's a stealth fighter that will cost tens of billions more than what Harper promised. A stealth fighter that can't defend our Arctic. A stealth fighter that's not actually stealth. That F-35 might be Stephen Harper's dream, but I can tell you, for Canadian taxpayers, it'll be a nightmare. <laughs> Richard Krause, as they would say in Quebec, oopalai. <laughs> it, I mean, it's such a juicy bit of audio to dredge up, but it was seven years ago uh, during a campaign, and you tend to go over the top a little bit with this kind of thing. You know, my concern uh, about this whole thing is not just that uh, we're buying 88 of these, which is going to cost a fortune, but then they'll have to build new infrastructure, new hangars and all that kind of thing to, uh, to house them in. So, I mean, we're looking at uh, more money 
money uh, here uh, than you could possibly imagine. And I just think that maybe that money could have gone to healthcare, could have gone to other uh, portfolios. I think that probably uh, need immediate uh, uh, addressing and not to, um, I mean, replacing the 40-year-old planes is one thing. We we need to do something, but 88 of them seems excessive to me, and that money could have gone elsewhere. Sunny ways, my friends. Although I guess we can argue, <laughs> we can argue, Larissa, that this is probably going to get us to our 2% NATO obligation because it's such a whack of money. Yeah, you know what? I think if we're a member of the G7, um, we need to act like it. I think you need to invest in things like, you know, fighter planes. You know, I, I actually think we should go further. I think it's time we replace the Lab 3s. Um, we need to invest in our military, and it takes time and money to do that. Um, I hope that, uh, you know, buying these planes or what your previous guest called the digital platform for surveillance, um, I hope that it encourages people to maybe join the military, um, to really look at the military as part of, you know, our not only our international obligation, but our domestic obligation as well. I think in Canada, you know, we over rely on the fact that we're right next door to the U.S. And so, you know, they're always going to protect us. But you've seen things like, you know, Australia, the U.K. and the U.S. have created an alliance leaving Canada out. And I, I get it. I guess why they leave Canada out. What have we brought to the table in terms of, uh, you know, military surveillance, military capability. We just aren't a player. I don't think we're ever going to be a military power, but we're basically the last of the allies to invest in these planes. And so I think it's time that we start investing in the military. I thought that the clip that you played of the prime minister, you know, he's the one who made it political. He's the one who campaigned on it. I thought that it was kind of gross to hear him talk about it, like like it was just some sort of political football to throw back and forth. Um, but I'm glad that we're finally investing. I'm glad that they, you know, admitted that they were wrong in the past. And you know what? That's not fair to say. They, they It's a different fighter jet now and, and, and in different circumstances now. Um, but I'm glad that they sort of acknowledge that and are going forward with the purchase. Okay, I'm going to start with uh, Robert Benzie on this next one because this is at Queen's Park. And uh, Robert, as we've learned through access to information filings, they got their hands on the briefing manual that was given to the incoming health minister that quite graphically described not only the uh, worn out aspect of nurses in the profession, but nurses leaving the profession. And then it said Law 124 was a pretty major factor in all that. I've been asking this question to a lot of people through the morning. Is this some sort of a revelation and an uh, aha gotcha moment or is it just sort of, yeah, whatever? No, it's not a revelation or a gotcha moment, uh, John. And in fact, you know, good for Global News for filing the FOI to get to get that binder that was given to Sylvia Jones when she became health minister last year. Um, or I, I guess it was a, a binder before she became health. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was after the election. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so 2022. Um, but the thing is, all of these issues, binders, as, as Larissa would well know, ministers have every possible thing in them, warnings. And if it would be actually more newsworthy if they didn't mention that uh, nurse retention was a problem after the pandemic and that Bill 124 was controversial. And remember, Bill 124 has been in the news 
forever, uh, basically since it was it came into effect in 2019. Um, it has a sunset provision and it is expiring in the next wave of contracts. But uh, it's being challenged, and the government is 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 appealing. The, it's been ruled as unconstitutional, and the the province is appealing that. And I think the province will win at a, at the higher court, frankly, because there's nothing in the Bill of Rights, the Charter of Rights, that says you're guaranteed a raise of more than one percent, which is what this was. This was a cap. Um, but I think the good for the good for for global for finding that but it's not a smoking gun because all of these eventualities are shown in these types of binders larissa i'm not sure if you were listening but just before 8 30 we were talking with a nurse who is currently on leave after being assaulted in the workplace and that's just one nurse's experience but a lot of people found it heartbreaking to hear about a nurse who can't do the profession she loves because she feels that she's not properly protected and not properly paid yeah, and, and I did hear that, and it's a very sad story. I think on this issue, there's there's almost two issues here, and I think they're being sort of melded together. It's transition binders and Bill 124. Um, and exactly what Rob said, that it, it would have been strange if Bill 124 wasn't flagged as an issue under what we in, in politics call issues management um, a, as an issue. You know, the, the perception and whether or not it's true or not that Bill 124 um, was a factor in nurse retention, um, you know, that that can be debated. That's absolutely the position of the nurses and the nurses' union. Um, but but the purpose of transition binders, and they're, they're these massive, massive documents prepared largely by the bureaucracy, um, which, you know, I don't even think your average listener understands that there's there's government workers who are bureau- bureaucrats who who are there regardless of what the government is. And then there's political staff that are, you know, tied to the minister of the day. So the bureaucrats have to brief the political staff and the minister um, and everything's in there. So it'd be again what Rob said, it'd be strange if it wasn't in there. Um, I think with Bill 124, it was a bit of a perfect storm, right? Bill 24 came in and then COVID came in, which exacerbated everything, especially the strain and the stress on nurses and healthcare providers and especially PSWs. Um, so I think that, you know, we'll see how play, Build 124 plays out in the courts, but I don't think that, you know, you can point to the fact that somewhere in this binder was a line that said Bill 124 is the reason that nurses got burnt out. Um, I think that's a little simple and I don't think that's true. Um, Richard, there is a Toronto actor who collected $24,000 from the federal government during COVID-19, and the government says, you're, you are not entitled to this, you're going to have to give it back. He says, I don't have that kind of money, I can't give it back. I mean, my first reaction to this was, I, th- I don't think that most people know, $24,000 a year for an actor would be a pretty good year. Yeah, and this is a guy who had uh, done construction for most of his life and then switched over to acting uh, just a few years ago after he was unable to work in construction any longer. And uh, he thinks that there was a mistake made on his tax return uh, that uh, has led to this uh, repayment schedule that he's been put on now. Uh, And he wants a chance to go back and and, uh, have that revised and and for them to have another look at it. Uh, And if this is a mistake in it, may well be uh, a mistake on his behalf or perhaps on the government's behalf, but we're going to be seeing a lot more of this because uh, this was a a system that was put into place really quickly. Uh, It needed to be. It was an emergency act, and uh, there were mistakes made, and I'm sure that there will be more and more of these kind of things coming up and then uh, magically disappearing once the facts uh, of them are, uh, are elucidated for everyone to know.
So in one supermarket in uh, Holland, they have a slow lane because the cashier wants to have a conversation with you, and presumably you want to have a conversation with them. Uh, Larissa Walker, would you run in the other direction, or do you like chatty cashiers? Listen, I have pretended I don't speak English on a plane to avoid <laughs> talking to the guy beside me. I, I'm not a chatty Cathy. Um, but if I take my dad to the grocery store, you know, it's like taking a celebrity. He, he on, on both sides, he he knows everybody and they know him. He knows the stock guy. He knows the person in the cashier's lane, the person working the customer service. And he's a talker. Uh, so I know my dad absolutely would line up in the chatty Kathleen. Um, and I would I would do a self-checkout. I don't like self-checkout, but mm. but I would avoid talking to somebody. Yeah. Um, at every at every chance, I'll avoid a conversation. Well, Robert Benzie, you and Richard are both sort of boulevardiers, so do you engage in <laughs> casual conversation? John, if you ever want to get in the slow line at a grocery store, just look where I am and get behind me, because I'm always in the slow line. <laughs> but no, Richard and I have our groceries sent in. <laughs> oh, do you really? Okay, so Richard, you're not looking for... I mean, you were a bartender at one time. Mm -hmm. that, that's a person that you expect to be chatty. No, listen, I'm the king of Kensington. I say hello to everybody. I I talk to people. Um, I I don't always really want to engage, but if somebody wants to engage with me, absolutely, I'll say hello. I, I don't see anything wrong with this. I don't know that I would deliberately stand in the slow line to do that. Uh, but <laughs> certainly, you know, if I'm squeezing the melons and someone in the section and someone wants to come up and say hello, I'll, uh, I'll engage. Thank you all, Richard Krause, Larissa Waller, and Robert Benz. Catch the roundtable round one at 745 round two at 845 weekday mornings on more in the morning news talk 1010 Toronto.